0: It's Kali.
1: What's, what's up? Hey, y'all. What's up? You're about to listen to facts, stories, interviews, gossip, live music, booty bump and beats, and much more fascinating things that will be so stunning, there's a possibility that your mind will blow.
2: This show will start...
1: Five, four, three, two, one. 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 Due to the coronavirus, the following show is being produced and broadcast by the Yolokali youth from their homes. So sit back, relax at home, and enjoy the show. The following
3: bilingual podcast is part of the Greater Lawndale Healthy Work Project from the University of Illinois Chicago School of Public Health in partnership with Yolikali Arts Reach in Little Village. What is the city of Chicago doing to keep its citizens safe in their workspaces and homes throughout the pandemic? You will hear a collection of stories showing the effects of COVID-19 in North and South Lawndale. Dilemmas between unsafe workspaces unemployment, and lack of support from the government. The current needs and concerns of the community, family, housing, health, education, and quality of life. How was your work situation before COVID-19? How can we move forward after experiencing a pandemic? What would you change now? In early 2020, the U.S. was hit with COVID-19, and it became more and more obvious that the government, both state and federal, were not equipped to protect us. It resulted in the needless loss of life, devastation to small businesses, and many people losing their sources of income. City of Chicago's shelter-in-place ordinance took effect on March 18, 2020, and low-income neighborhoods felt the struggle to survive in the following months reaching dire proportions.
1: and bills were unable to be paid, mom and pop stores shut their doors, and all of this happened over environmental concerns like the sudden destruction of the Crawford coal plant polluting La Vita. The repercussions were felt everywhere, but it was most apparent in communities like North and South Londo, located on the west side of Chicago.
4: The effects of COVID-19 has been detrimental to low-income communities, especially in the neighborhood of Little Village, where Yolo Kali resides. Students of the journalism program, Your Story, Your Way, began to question the effects of COVID-19 and the situations community members were exposed to.
1: We wanted to know the physical, mental, and spiritual toll COVID-19 took on the communities of Little Village and North Lawndale. And so the participation with Greater Lawndale Healthy Work, a research partnership, felt like a perfect fit.
3: The Greater Lawndale Healthy Work Project from the University of Illinois Chicago School of Public Health invited local organizations, including Yolo to be part of the research study, which aimed to determine the context, barriers, and pathways to healthy work in Greater Lawndale.
4: As well as to build community capacity to recognize worker health as a determinant of community health, address work-related health and community total worker health efforts, and sustain effective community-based worker health initiatives.
1: To accomplish these goals, the Healthy Work Project collected 30 to 40 stories relating to COVID 19 and work experienced by community members 18 to 65 years of age in Greater Lawndale. To do this, local youth organizations Yolokali Arts Reach and True Star Media partnered with the project to interview people of Greater Lawndale about their lives post pandemic. With this data now collected, it will be utilized to better calibrate Greater Lawndale Healthy Works' approach to building a culture of healthy work at the neighborhood level.
3: As we began this project, we sat down for roughly 60-minute interviews with local community members, and we were stunned to hear the multiple ways COVID-19 has affected them. Topics varied from employment and financial living to physical and health effects sparked conversations of healthy employment and safe working conditions, and how, as a community, we can turn unhealthy work to healthy and sustainable work.
4: Residents from these two communities each had an individual story to tell, and it was with great pleasure that Yolo Cali students learned about their experience.
1: My name is Emonel Ramirez, and I am here with some of the Yolo Cali team members that participated in this reporting.
4: Melissa Regalado,
1: and
3: August Abbotain.
1: Today, we are proud to present a collection of stories about the effect of COVID-19 in our local workspaces in Greater Lawndale first what is healthy work
4: healthy work should be safe stable allowing workers to have a voice and offering a fair wage
3: it should also have paid sick leave and family leave health care even mental health days allowing workers time for family friends community and themselves
1: or how about being flexible in the middle of a global pandemic
5: You know, we just really showed that, you know, if we want something, it has to be us who organize it. It has to be us who demand it. It has to be us. So I think, you know, the pandemic just really showed, one, it put a spotlight on all the injustices that were happening, on all the unfairness, inequality that is going on. But it also, I think, highlighted that at the end of the day, the government is not going to save us. It's going to be
1: us.
3: What is the Greater Lawndale working status?
1: According to the Greater Lawndale Healthy Work Research, some impact findings show that of the more than 1,000 employers in these two communities,
4: 391 businesses were validated in person. 85% of the 727 employers where size could be documented had less than 20 employees and over half the employees are in retail service food
3: sectors. 46% of Greater Lawndale employers fall into manufacturing and healthcare. Students observed informal or cash economy employment and students found instances of phantom businesses and linked their awareness of employment that is not visible, i.e. childcare, cleaning independent contractors to the investigation.
1: Now, how did COVID-19 change work for them? Could you tell me a little bit about your work situation before COVID-19 during around January and February of 2020?
6: I'm a caretaker and I would drive my client to different locations to run errands, grocery shopping, laundry, or be at the house cleaning, engaging in different activities. So I pretty much stayed in the house as well as out the house. So I was pretty busy in contact with a lot of people on a daily basis. Well, you know, I heard about the COVID, but I continued to work. But when they shut the schools down, I stopped going inside the house. Well, I I did it for a little while, but my client got sick and they had the COVID. So I had to do as much as I could outside the house. So I had to talk on the phone, get my assignment, then go to the house to receive the funds, to go purchase everything and you know different things run through your mind which made it a little more time consuming because you know just going into the stores there was a line you could only have so many people in the store so i may stand outside for about 45 minutes to an hour just to get inside the store and once you get inside and get what you need there's another line going from this location to that location it makes a big difference and then, you know, look fearful because you don't know if you're going to catch something from someone. Well, will I get germs? I need to wear gloves. I don't want to touch the money. You know, stuff like that. So I would take my wet wipes and I would wipe the cash down to make sure I wasn't passing germs from, from that individual to someone else. Because, you know, giving cash here, money, money carries germs. So I had on gloves but every cashier did not have on gloves. And that money had to go inside the drawer where it would touch other money, and then it would be passed on to the next person. So that's how you spread germs. So that was pretty different because that's not something that I was used to doing, just that part alone. Then I had to do things at my house or as well as running errands and do the stuff to take back to my job and not being able to see that individual and just talking on the phone. It was different. It was it was really different. And then when my client got sick and they were in the hospital, you know, I couldn't work. So I had to wait. Wait until they were available for me to start doing my job again. So, it was a lot to adjust to. It was pretty intense in the beginning.
4: ¿Nos puede describir su situación laboral antes del COVID-19? Durante diciembre a febrero
7: Yo trabajo en una pizzería de Jordanos, ahí en el centro. Entonces, pues es todo muy bonito ahí porque, o sea, me gusta el ambiente desde antes y después viene siendo casi. Bueno, no es lo mismo, ¿verdad? Porque, pues ahora, cuando yo regreso, mis compañeros están tristes por una pérdida que perdieron sus familiares, porque ellos se infectaron también por el coronavirus. Entonces, todo eso es muy diferente. Pero antes trabajaba yo el miércoles, viernes, sábado domingo, pero trabajaba yo el sábado y el domingo trabajaron los trabajados dobles. Pero ya cuando lo de la pandemia entonces ya me quitaron ese tiempo y ya hoy no más tres días me están dando por, por lo pronto trabajo viernes, sábado y domingo. Hoy es este, un poco más difícil porque no me no estoy metiendo mis 40 horas. Entonces como nos pagan por quincena entonces en la quincena estoy a, tan apenas llegando a las 47 horas hay veces. Hay veces que no llego ni a las 47, entonces es muy poco horas lo que estoy metiendo, son 7 horas por, por día.
0: Pues yo antes de la pandemia, cuando empezó todo esto, ¿verdad? Pues es, era levantarme a las 3 de la mañana, dos y media de la mañana y corriendo, ¿verdad? Porque mi horario de entrada era a las 4 de la mañana. Entonces, pues hacer algo de lunch, un café y correr al trabajo, ¿verdad? Yo trabajaba en una fábrica de personalización de playeras, pero pues ya se escuchaban los rumores, ¿verdad? Entonces que se iba a cerrar o no iba a cerrar. Entonces todo era, pues, mucha preocupación, ¿verdad? Por lo que iba, no sabíamos lo que nos venía.
8: ¿Y qué pasaba por tu mente cuando empezaste a escuchar esos rumores que la pandemia podría causar problemas?
0: Somos trabajadores, yo lo pudiera llamar temporales, ¿verdad? A veces porque pues vamos a una fábrica, en esa ocasión estaba ahí, entonces siempre esa inestabilidad, ¿verdad?, del trabajo, pues siempre nos tiene preocupados por lo económico, entonces siempre es de que hoy si cierran, ¿cómo le vamos a hacer, no?, se hablaba de cerrar el estado todos se hablaba se decían muchas cosas muchas noticias no en la televisión en, el, en los medios, en las redes sociales todo entonces uno estaba a la deriva en segundo lugar lo económico perdón pero principalmente la salud yo en, en la casa tengo este familia en la familia hay familiares que son de riesgo verdad entonces más que nada eso era más el temor de por la salud a mí me tocó antes Justo antes de que cerraran, pues, de que uno ya estaba, ya, o sea, esto, estoy hablando en diciembre, que no, uno andaba despreocupado, enero, febrero, ya se empezaba a escuchar más, yo creo aquí en Estados Unidos, ¿no? Marzo, pues, ya fue cuando cerraron, y aún así, a, semanas antes de que cerraran, pues, yo decía, pues, se supone que está muy grave el asunto, y yo no veía que en mi trabajo tomaran alguna medida, ¿no? O sea, todavía no se decía nada oficialmente, pero pues, seguíamos igual, así, trabajando, no sé. Quizás dos días antes de que cerraran el estado fue cuando empezaron a pues limpiar sus máquinas, ¿no? Así como que, que ya a empezar a tomar alguna acción. Cuando no había pandemia, pues era tumultos de gente a veces, ¿verdad? Cuando había mucho trabajo, amontonados, o de trabajar en un espacio aunque sea pequeño. Como yo recuerdo que di- incluso ese diciembre antes, ¿verdad? de que se hablara de pandemia. Pues era de que nada más se podía uno pegar o contagiar de alguna gripe, que alguien iba resfriado, con gripe, influencia, no sé qué, ¿verdad? Pero pues era de que te contagiabas, pero no era tanto temor, ¿verdad? No era tan peligroso, no sé cómo llamarlo, no sé mucho, ¿verdad? Pero era algo normal que ya, ¿ves que a un compañero le dio gripe, por ejemplo?, Y ya después todos tienen gripe, ¿no? O tos, o ya ando, ya, ya me dio gripe, ya me contagiaron. Pero no era tan, pues era solo una gripe, un resfriado, qué sé yo. Pero ya con este temor, este nuevo virus, o sea, que nadie conocía y que todo mundo estaba, y que hasta la fecha creo que no se sabe mucho, entonces, pues era el temor, ¿verdad? Más que nada por la salud, este, y todo lo que se decía de esa enfermedad, ¿verdad? O sea, es que es una diferencia
9: muy grande. Antes del COVID era horario regular, de ocho horas diarias. A veces este, nos daban overtime los sábados. Nos iba más o menos bien porque hacíamos entre ocho a dieciséis horas de overtime a la quincena. Después de lo que pasó con lo del COVID, mucho tiempo estuvimos trabajando. Un día cinco horas, otro día cuatro Nos regresaban dos o tres días a la semana. No había un horario fijo, pero tampoco nos avisaban antes. O sea, nos iban diciendo al mero día, por decir, hoy llegábamos y se supone que nosotros teníamos que trabajar ocho horas y al mero momento decían a las once de la mañana, váyanse porque pues ya no hay trabajo. Empezamos a como a reclamar todos mm-hmm. que por qué nos estaban haciendo así, ¿verdad? Porque a veces hubo tiempos en que metíamos... 25 a 30 horas a la semana y tampoco pues pues si no trabajamos no nos pagan, ¿verdad? Y pues no nos avisaban con tiempo tampoco. Hasta que ya después, esa fábrica donde yo estoy fue la primera que empezó a tener demandas porque no querían que usáramos los cubrebocas. Luego que no, que allá había personas fallecidas por lo del covid La empresa como que quería tapar las cosas, como que no quería decir que lo que estaba pasando en realidad. Entonces, como somos una empresa grande, no había las medidas de higiene que se necesitaban y empezamos, como ya vimos que ya se había metido la televisora del Telemundo a investigar, empezamos nosotros a hablar, ¿verdad? con los supervisores y con los líderes qué que es lo que estaba pasando y qué cuántas horas nos iban a dar. Eso fue en, empezamos como por mayo. Hasta finales de julio ya fue que hicieron una junta los dueños y nos dijeron que pues por lo de la pandemia que no nos podían dar todos los días trabajo ni podían darnos todas las horas. De ahí para acá hemos trabajado diferentes horas, pero ya casi siempre trabajamos siete horas, de 7 a 6 horas, pero no tenemos overtime ahorita. Dijeron que hasta que se compusiera esto es que nos iban a dar el overtime. Entonces ya fue que pusieron un poco más de medidas de higiene. El cubrebocas, de ponernos una careta, pero ese trabajo donde yo estoy es demasiado caliente. Son puras freidoras y es muy calientísimo. Antes de la pandemia nos sentíamos acalorados, ¿verdad? Pero ahora, como usamos una mascarilla las siete o seis horas que uno trabaje, una careta de plástico y un casco, se siente mucha calor. Nosotros estábamos hablando con el supervisor, que ya la mayoría casi ya nos vacunamos. Tenemos las dos dosis de la vacuna, que por qué no nos quitaban la careta de plástico. Pero dice que eso tendría que ser como que hablaran a... Ellos tienen un programa con el de OSHA, que es de los de la comida, y que ellos tenían que autorizar eso de quitarnos las caretas. Porque todavía no está al 100% como controlado todo, pero sí sí fue algo difícil.
10: Well, it's been rough since this pandemic came around. Typical day is like nothing for me. I don't be doing nothing. I'm at home all day, every day. I was working before the pandemic. But well, actually, I was doing, I was, t- I was working for a construction agency and I was doing a temp service at the same time. But you know how that go. You haven't been there for a while, they lay you off. So ever since then, when that happened, things slowed up for me. It's a lot of little mediocre jobs out that you can get, you know, but what that's gonna help me with, you know? Man, I'm still waiting on unemployment, man. I'm one of those who have been waiting. And still just pending, pending. I don't know nothing, man. So I just thank God for my wife right now. If it wasn't for her, I don't know where I'd be. Yeah. But it's scary with the COVID, and then, you know, no steady, steady, steady cash flow, you know, but when the income ain't right, Man, your pockets ain't right. That's when people mental health started changing, <laughs> for real.
3: So, what were some of the thoughts you had during that time?
10: Like what I'm gonna do next? And so now, you know, I'm like, I'm diabetic, so you know, I really don't want to be around it. You know what I mean? Like it was like a messed up situation for me, you know, for a lot of reasons. So now I gotta worry about how I eat, what I gotta eat, what I gotta eat. eat. No telling how long I've been sick, you know. So it's very impactful though Got a, kind of kind of nerve-wrecking at the same time because i want to get out here and work you know but then you know, it's scary for me you know when you're sick it's, it's more impactful to people who are sick like, with medical conditions you know? so it's very very impactful to me for real
2: my last position i was a, a hair stylist i did work in a hair salon it was a six-person salon five stylists on the regular, and then it would be one someone that would, you know, come in maybe once a month, twice a month or something like that to do their client's hair. Thursday, Friday, and most definitely Saturday was my busiest days. I could see as many as 15, 20 clients on a Saturday. That would be the most. And, you know, during the week, I would just have maybe a few clients, but not like the weekends. The uh, the business ended up folding due to COVID, so I'm no longer doing that. But yeah, I was a hairstylist. I found out COVID, and and we were shut down. Since we were we were shut down by the government, we weren't able to. Oh my God, that was a very disheartening day.
8: <laughs> that was a
2: very sad day. You know, we we assumed that. It would just be up until April because you know they were stating this would only last until Easter. At that time, then it came out that you know they're still not opening, still not opening, still not opening. And at that time, the business owner, you know, she was going back and forth if she was actually going to be able to reopen the salon. Because I mean, again, six of us. Came booth rent and she has you know her bills that she has to pay for the salons but <laughs> it affected me by you know when we went on this whole shutdown and we're just stuck and it you know just does something to you mentally like oh my god we're ready to go we're ready for this to be over <laughs> and then it just COVID just came like out of nowhere You know it's just like boom this is this is it so we had no time to prepare I guess but I don't know how one would prepare for you know a pandemic so that was a very disheartening day
4: and how did you feel I was oh I don't know I guess I was
2: kind of melancholy at the beginning because this was something new we hadn't you know we hadn't heard of this and you know we're at a stay-at-home order. So it's like, oh, wow, this is really, really serious. You know, we're we're staying at home, and then you're at home, don't invite people to your home. Like, how am I going to maintain things now? Because I did have, you know, rent car notes, of course, all other utilities and everything. And I do have a 12-year-old. So I'm like, okay, now how am I supposed to put all of this and, you know, no income? My employer, she tried to give us something, you know, just something just to get by, just something. You know, it, it wasn't much, but it was, you know, something towards our, you know, our utilities, even though she was going through things herself. But she did try and and and, you know, give us something the people in her
4: salon. And did you still maintain your occupation as a hairstylist, or what were other occupations you searched for?
2: I started doing driving for Uber Eats. So that's how I now kind of maintain now through you know, Uber Eats. and I have a a girlfriend that has a catering. She does catering, and you know, I'll be her delivery person. So, that's how I'm trying to maintain and make ends meet.
11: Bueno, mi trabajo es un punto eh, importante y, y, y muy bonito. Quiero quiero compartirlo porque mi trabajo es tratar de comunicar a las personas acerca de todo lo que tiene que ver con eh, recursos de salud. Por ejemplo, hablar con personas y preguntarles tienen un médico primario. Mucha gente de nuestra comunidad no vamos al dentista porque es muy caro. Preferimos perder un diente que ir al dentista a cuidarnos. Igual, muchos tenemos que trabajar o muchos trabajan hasta dos turnos y no van al doctor. Pueden pasar años y no van al doctor. Desafortunadamente van el día que en la fábrica se desmayaron o pasó algo desafortunadamente. Entonces ese es mi trabajo, como preguntarles a las personas que si tienen un doctor ¿Para qué? Para prevenir enfermedades. Eh, La pandemia se ha traído muchos retos eh, en mi vida, a todos en realidad, pero usualmente con tres hijos para todos lados, de una escuela a otra escuela y recoger clases después de escuela en la calle. Era muy ajetreado todo el día afuera. Me encantaba estar y ser voluntaria en las escuelas de mis hijos, de los tres. Iban a una escuela diferente todos en la villita entonces todo el tiempo en la calle realmente eh, y llegaba con mis hijos igual que ellos de la escuela pero yo no iba a la escuela entonces no iba a tomar clases, no, hacía otras cosas pero con la pandemia han sido, han sido otros retos diferentes y de verdad mi hijo mayor fue el más realmente más afectado ya ahorita cumplió 18 años en la pandemia el año pasado cumplió 18 años entonces es un joven que Estaba en la escuela a veces desde las 7 de la mañana hasta las 6 de la tarde, a las 5 de la tarde, porque le encantaba estar eh, igual, rodeado de compañeros, amigos, haciendo actividades, eh, era el último en que recogía, siempre de la escuela, porque él siempre estaba en muchas actividades y él fue el que más más lo sintió. Eh, mis otros hijos más pequeñitos también, pero a ellos también les gusta estar en casa, a ellos les gusta tomar la clase virtual también, fue difícil, pero yo creo que el que te llevó el mayor impacto fue mi hijo mayor, este, ya que fue su este año pasado fue su último año de high school, entonces realmente él fue el más más afectado en todos los sentidos. Eh, anteriormente el año pasado eh, y otros años eh, trabajaba t- medio tiempo eh, y con la pandemia un trabajo de medio tiempo para una mamá de tres hijos cuando mi esposo perdió su trabajo era muy difícil este sobrevivir todos con, con medio tiempo muy muy complicado pero oh, afortunadamente mi esposo ah, encontró un trabajo, tardó para encontrarlo y ahorita todavía es un poquito difícil porque él trabaja nada más tres días. O sea, estoy viviendo los, los retos de muchas familias de, con, con la pandemia entre tantos retos. En, en, ese es uno de tantos, el quedarte sin trabajo y el trabajar medio tiempo este, o trabajar con estipendios eh, solamente como contratista es sumamente complicado. Nada más te queda como tener una esperanza, ¿no? De que todo va a cambiar y de que todo, y que va a haber, um, de, de que cosas buenas vienen. Yo creo que eso es lo último que, que debe morir la esperanza eh, y eso es lo que te mantiene. Te mantiene realmente con un lado positivo de, de ver las cosas, pero definitivamente que muy difícil.
8: Cuando inicie inicios de la pandemia, pues yo estaba trabajando en una fábrica Esa fábrica se especializa en personalizar muchas cosas. Por ejemplo, tiene muchas áreas como de bordado, donde se personalizan los nombres con bordado, con vaino, con láser. Y entonces estaba yo en el área de bordado, estábamos bordando pues lo que es todo en... Es que hay mucha variedad de productos en esa fábrica, entonces ahí pues se personalizan, estuve en el área de laser, trabajando las máquinas obviamente de, de laser. Cuando ya se hizo oficial lo de la pandemia pues nos descansaron, a mí prácticamente me descansaron durante pues todo el año, empecé a trabajar como en noviembre otra vez. En la misma fábrica, porque ahí hay una temporada por las fechas de, de diciembre, entonces es cuando contrata esa misma fábrica mucho personal y volvieron a reabrir y pues tuve la oportunidad de volver ahí. Pero sí siempre está el miedo de que estábamos expuestas a este virus que se dio, ¿verdad? Que fue el
12: COVID 19 oh, Well, you know I do home care. I had two clients then, and uh, this is when it was just coming in and we didn't. No, whether or not to believe it or not, because it wasn't that prevalent back then. So that's how it was back then, January and February. You know, we weren't wearing masks and stuff around our clients. or And I work in a senior's building, so we weren't doing precautionary measures back in January and February. I contracted it in March, and that's when I got COVID. But mine lasted for like 14 days, and I was really, really sick. I couldn't breathe, couldn't, could barely see. Everything was blurry and everything.
3: Did you go back to work?
12: No, I couldn't. I was sick to go to work. And then by then, jobs and stuff were being educated about it. So I wasn't allowed to go back. After like my fifth or sixth day, I had to get notification from my doctor to the employer to let them know that I was able to go back to work. But no, I, I didn't work at all. It was a struggle by being off work. I got behind in a lot of stuff and then my car, my mortgage, uh, food, everything that was lacking because, you know, I was unable to make a living and he got sick immediately immediately after I did. So we were like in a bind for like three, four months. You know, once, once you miss like 60 days, it's a wrap, it's hard to catch up, you know.
4: ¿Puede describir como su situación laboral antes de COVID-19, ya sea en los meses de enero, febrero, ya antes que comenzaba todo de la pandemia?
13: Pues yo tenía mi trabajo bien, trabajaba bien en una bodega, mi trabajo era pues andar pelando nopales, pero ya empezando la pandemia y luego ya cuando los niños no fueron a la escuela, pues perdí mi empleo a causa después de la pandemia y pues tuve que quedarme aquí en la casa con mis hijos. Pues se me vino de que cómo lo iba a hacer para la renta, para los biles. Luego cuando los niños que necesitan cosas y eso, pues ya pues al último se me vino a la mente. Digo, bueno, pues si yo sé pelar los nopales y sé trabajar en eso, ¿por qué no me pongo en un lugar a vender? Y pues se me ocurrió y pues así me fui. Y a base de eso, pues, Desde septiembre del año pasado Tuve que hacer la lucha yo solita De ponerme en la calle a vender Bolsitas de nopales Me voy a las 11 de aquí de mi casa Y me pongo en una calle a vender Y me llevo mis hijos Y ahí los estoy vigilando para la escuela Igual don, como yo que me ponía ya En una calle a vender Pues sí me preocupaba porque Como pusieron las restricciones De, de uno no salir y todo eso Pues sí mucha gente no salía Y pues Al no salir la gente no había buenas ventas, entonces era poco lo que se vendía. Y pues sí, me preocupaba porque decía: Entonces, ¿en qué va a trabajar uno? Aparte, ya ves que en las fábricas había más contagiados y a mí me preocupaba ir a una fábrica porque decía: No, y si me contagio, y si yo me contagio, llego a la casa, contagio a mis hijos. Y pues seguí, dije: Ni modo lo que Dios quiera, y a seguir adelante hasta donde pueda
4: uno. Claro y en el aspecto de su situación económica este ganaba lo mismo que ganaba vender vendiendo que en la bodega mm,
13: al principio fue duro porque hay a veces que no vendía como yo vendo por bolsitas y la doy al principio daba tres libras por cinco dólares pero el nopal estaba barato pero al principio no vendía hay veces que nomás me vendía 3 bolsitas a veces que no vendía ni una Y así hasta que ya pues poco a poco también uno se va acrientando y ya vas vendiendo un poquito más. Todavía hay a veces que sí no se vende mucho, pero pues ahí sigo.
14: Well, my daughter attended a, um, it's a Christian school, and I, my daughter attended a Christian school, so I volunteered there to help pay for her tuition. Um, because I was unemployed at the time and I wanted her to stay in a Christian-based education field, assisting the teacher with beginning education for students, four and five-year-olds. So I end up just staying in the field helping out with the youth of my next
1: generation. And what was that shift like going from pre-COVID to you know this new COVID time back in March of 2020?
14: Separation, scary, isolated, fear, doubt. It was different. It was sudden, immediately, uh, out of my norm. There was a rush, unknowing, unseen. You know, I didn't prepare for this. Like, I have to get um, lessons plans together. There was no lesson plan for me. There was no time to prepare for myself as a teacher aide, for my teacher, or for my students, or for my immediate household, or myself. I just thought it was just going to be an early... um, spring break an extended spring break but uh, we had to just t- to teach the children a little bit about what was going on which we ourselves as adults in the world didn't know much but the little information that we did receive we, we shared with them and they had course they had questions and i was always a person that emphasized and was always on cleanliness and washing hands so that wasn't something new to them because i always had some washing hands. but as it progressed i'm not returning things became different, became scary for them because they didn't know what was happening, you know, with their everyday normal life. Just getting adjusted to preschool, just getting adjusted to their teachers and now their parents probably have a worried faith. We just thought, we just really basically had uh, following the news and what they were saying. We were scheduled to come back, go one I think it probably was that Tuesday and uh, just watch the news and just wait for emails. But what we was going to do is work in small groups, you know, just to be fears or just to separate some kids or just to be able to still learn, but in safe small groups. Instead of like having maybe eight or 10 kids or eight kids, I should say 19 in a group, you do three or you do four. Because we're talking about four-year-olds, they just want to be friends, you. they just want a community with your relationship, they just want new friends. So now I got to separate from my friends for six feet apart. They don't even know the distance yet. They just know they shape and their sound. They don't know about measurement at this age. But you just have to teach them and be patient with them, and of course, wash your hands.
1: And so, overall, <laughs> how would you say that COVID-19 has affected your job life and you know the health within that?
14: It caused me to be unemployed. And it caused me to just look at things different. Um, my communication, and I was building a very good relationship with my new students. And it, it stopped me from being busy. It prevented me from being helpful to instill in the students and the generation. You know, the new doctors and new lawyers and the new scientists that were gonna be coming up. You know, that, that crucial part of their life was halted because of COVID. With my input to put into them. Remember those first years in preschool and kindergarten. And in my household myself, just thinking about, you know, what's next or, you know, how I'm going to be able to make it as far as no job. You know, now you have no job because the schools are closed down. So it was anxiety for myself as well as my household. Uh, you know, yeah, I still haven't bounced back, um, but I'm just going daily through the grace of God. And it just took some readjusting for myself and my household. You just do things different. I was definitely, like, what has been a struggle in my household, uh, sometimes food is a struggle, just because staying in the house, you know, we're not meant to stay in the house. I need nature, fresh air. I mean, at that point, being able to just have a routine, I should say, not even staying in the house. You needed a routine. When to work becomes, you when know, you have an adult and you have a routine, to go out to you know meet the train every morning have some time to yourself at lunch and just meet interact with people on the train speaking just different so it affected me because it came anxiety and isolation and financial hardship a very huge financial hardship So
15: I started off at like a daycare center um, and then a family member of mine told me about the school that I'm at and I've been there since 2012. So, so far it's been going pretty good.
3: Do you remember um, what it was like to transition into the pandemic January, February of last year?
15: It was it was very difficult. Um, there were times when um, we had to shut down. There were times when we didn't know what was going to happen. Just like everybody else, we were, you know, listening to the news and hearing stories and just kind of working off of what the governor you know was putting into place for us so it was definitely hard for our kids because they had been in use you know routine every day so to not come to school and have to work from home um, it was very it was hard you know we're bringing supplies home taking supplies back to school and trying to work on the internet and having wi-fi issues so it was definitely an experience for us and I think most are for our kids like a lot of of them struggle because a lot of our kids need that one-on-one or in the classroom or being around other you know classmates because they might be the only sibling so for them coming into school like this was an opportunity for you know them to learn and you know know how to play with each other and just have that social interaction so it was very difficult it was very hard When the pandemic first happened, I think a lot of the kids didn't really understand what was going on. Uh, We did have some kids that were a little bit more advanced than other kids. So when we actually were able to, you know, make it possible to do a Zoom, a lot of the kids were, you know, super excited to see us and they were just talking all at once. And so my co-teacher at the time, we were going to, we had like a whole schedule of what all we wanted to do, but Just to see the excitement in them and to see their friends, we just decided to, you know, let it be an open conversation. So it was like five or six different conversations going on. And I'll never forget, I think, you know, with the pandemic, when it started off, you know, you're listening to the news, you're hearing everything, and you're just kind of absorbing everything, but you don't really know how to process it. So I remember, you know, our time was coming to the end. And so my co-teacher told him, like, we're going to have to wrap up soon. And. The kids was like, well, why, you know, we're not done. We miss you guys. We don't want you to hang up. And so um, we told him, we'll, you know, do it again. And I remember one of my students, he was like a talker. And when we told him like, okay, we were going to have to answer so like his whole face just can't, you know, turn. He became really somber and he started crying and it wasn't like a teardrop. It was like just an emotional, just tears flowing. And then other kids started crying. And I think in that moment, it's like, when it really hit me, like, this is, you know, something serious. Like, I knew it was something serious, but just to see the effect that it had on the kids, like, it just really hit me because it's like, you're literally a part of them. You're a part of their family. You know, you see them every day. You're like... You know another mom or aunt or whatever and so for them not to be able to see us you know every day or to give us a hug or give a high five it like really touched me and so my co-teacher and i we both became emotional and we're crying and we're trying to console them and let them know like it's gonna be okay we'll see each other again but that's when it really I can tell the effect that you know it was having on the kids that this was really hard for them, you know, even though they didn't fully understand what was going on, but they knew something was different. So it was definitely any different levels of emotions for the kids.
16: Efectivamente, antes de que iniciara lo de la pandemia, yo trabajaba con mi suegro y su esposa. Y pues yo era ayudante de ellos en lo que es la limpieza de casas. Como ayudante, pues yo siempre me tocaba las áreas, por ejemplo, de los sanitarios. Este, Me tocaba el área, por ejemplo, las cocinas. Era lo que yo me, que yo me enfocaba para limpiar. Yo trabajaba tres, cuatro días a la semana. Y pues consideraba que estaba más o menos en beneficio a mí por el tiempo. La verdad sí, bueno, no sé todas las personas, ¿verdad? Pero en el caso de nosotros sí nos afectó bastante porque, por ejemplo, mi esposo... Pues él trabajaba en un restaurante, él era cocinero. Entonces, pues automáticamente, o sea, cerraron el restaurante y, por ejemplo, sí nos afectó porque, pues nosotros no teníamos como un dinero ahorrado o, o algún dinero, ¿verdad? Ahí guardadito o así, porque pues nosotros teníamos, este acabábamos de hacer algunas compras y unos gastos, entonces nos quedamos como que, pues en ceros, ¿no? Y nunca nos imaginamos que en ese tiempo iba a venir lo de la pandemia y entonces mi esposo se queda sin trabajo y para colmo la última semana que trabajó ni siquiera se las pagaron hasta la fecha nunca les el restaurante cerró y todos esos empleados este llamaban insistían pues que les mandaran ese pago verdad de la última uh-huh. semana y pues nunca les resolvieron nada ni les pagaron nada Entonces, este pues ahora sí que nos quedamos sin fondos. Y pues honestamente nosotros, al principio de la pandemia empezó a haber muchas ayudas, por ejemplo, los bancos de comida y todo eso. Y pues la verdad nosotros acudíamos constantemente para poder recibir este la ayuda de comida. Um, entonces este pues sabíamos que la renta no 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 esperaba entonces era como lo que más nos nos preocupaba en esos momentos porque de comida pues sabíamos que donde en cualquier lado que tú veías regalaban comida y mm. por todos lados publicaban que estaban dando comida entonces pues sabíamos que de hambre no íbamos a a morir <risa> pero Este, por ejemplo los gastos como los vías la renta y todo eso puede ser algo que sí nos mantenía este pues preocupados y entonces pues sí en cuando mi esposo empieza a trabajar las primeras entradas de dinero renta 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 ya cuando mi esposo se quedó sin trabajo él estuvo sin trabajo casi un mes casi un mes este y pues él ya llevaba algún algún par de años trabajando en ese restaurante Entonces, se le hacía complicado, ¿verdad? A lo mejor buscar otro empleo porque, pues, él sabía de cocina. Eh, tiempo después, pues, por una amistad, eh, mi esposo empe- empieza nuevamente a trabajar, eh, algo totalmente diferente a lo que él hacía en el restaurante. Y, pues, ahora sí fue como que empezamos un poquito a estabilizarnos. Pero igual, o sea, se lo empezaban a llevar... Eh, no sé, tres días a la semana, por ejemplo, se lo llevaban jueves, viernes y sábados como de ayudante. Este, eh, pero pues para nosotros era bien, ¿no? Porque pues sabíamos que ya iba a empezar a haber una, un poco de entrada de dinero. Y como pues pienso que mi esposo se desempeñó bien en ese trabajo y, y, este, y pues sí, más que nada que se hacía responsable, pues entonces lo empezaron a contratar más días y fue así como pues pudimos empezar nuevamente como a sacar gastos o sea etcétera
4: y usted mencionó que pues, obvio le tocó este covid nos puede decir más sobre cómo su situación o sea cómo fue cuándo pasó todo sí pues mira yo este
16: durante la pandemia este yo quedé embarazada eh, entonces para el mes de diciembre yo tenía siete meses sí tenía siete meses de embarazo, entonces pues prácticamente yo ya no salía ni con mis hijos ni nada porque pues mi embarazo había estado como con muchos muchos malestares físicos, entonces pues sí, eh, no la pasábamos aquí en casa, pero el, el que salía a laburar pues era mi esposo, entonces pues prácticamente él fue el que trajo el contagio a la casa. Él empezó, de repente un día, este, él empezó como eh, con síntomas de dolor de cuerpo de dolor de huesos de la espalda y todos pensábamos que era como algo de gripa, o sea, de oh, te, seguro te quiere dar gripa, ¿no? Y en un principio como que, bueno, yo le decía a mi esposo, o oh, es que no te cubres bien, es que sales de la casa y no te abrigas bien, etcétera, ¿no? Pero honestamente yo, yo no creía que, que él podía, o sea, que nosotros nos íbamos a contagiar de ese virus. Entonces, pues mi esposo seguía igual pasó otro día y él se y o sea se sentía peor entonces como que ahí sí ya me preocupé porque él normalmente como que él no se queja de cualquier gripa o así no él se queja como cuando ya tiene algo fuerte entonces eh, al otro día este él me decía que se sentía muy mal tenía dolor de cabeza tenía incluso náuseas y entonces dije oh no no vaya a ser el virus, ¿no? Y entonces fuimos a hacernos la prueba, pero entonces fuimos todos. Mis dos hijos, mi esposo y yo. Y pues resulta que todos salieron positivos menos yo. O sea, yo no estaba contagiada en ese momento. Entonces... Yo, de mucha gente me dijo, oh, tú tienes que aislarte porque tú estás embarazada y te van a contagiar, etcétera. Pero al mismo tiempo decía, y si yo me aíslo, ¿quién los va a cuidar a ellos? ¿Quién nos va a ver? Porque um, cuando él cuando fuimos a hacernos la prueba, uno de mis hijos como que también ya llevaba síntomas. Entonces, después de que se hizo la prueba, como que los síntomas también como que después se dispararon. Y mi hijo mayor y mi esposo... Tenían muchísimo dolor en el cuerpo, tenían náuseas, tenían muchísima tos. Era una tos terrible que mi esposo a veces como que se ahogaba para toser. Y mi hijo, el pequeño, pues él prácticamente los malestares le duraron dos días. O sea, dos días y ¡pum! O sea, se, se alivió, se, se le notó mucha mejoría. Pero mi esposo y, y mi hijo mayor, ¿no? Ellos tuvieron varios días sintiéndose mal y ya, pues... La realidad es que, pues, no no recibimos ninguna común medicina o cosas así, ¿no? O sea, nosotros combatíamos esta situación del virus con remedios caseros, ¿no? Por ejemplo, el té, las nebulizaciones con el vapor, o sea, todo eso lo lo utilicé, el té de jengibre con ajo y limón, o sea, hay varias cosas. Este, o sea, me decían, dales esto, yo, ok, sí, y lo hacía y se los daba. Y, pero claro... O sea, por más que me protegiera, por más que todo, pues a final de cuentas estaba yo aquí con ellos y yo me terminé contagiando. O sea, lo bueno de mi caso fue que cuando ellos ya se sentían mejor fue cuando yo me, me, me empezaron los síntomas. Mientras ellos estuvieron bien mal, yo estaba ahí, los atendía y les hacía té y esto y el otro. Pero en cuanto ellos se sintieron mejor, yo fui la que me sentí, pero me sentí tan, pero tan mal O sea, que de verdad fueron unos síntomas muy feos porque una noche a a mí sí me pasó que que yo yo ya no sentía que no podía respirar bien por la nariz. Eh, A mí fue como si mis fosas nasales se me las tuvieran tapado y entonces yo lo que hacía era tratar de respirar con la boca. Y llegó un momento que era tan desesperante respirar con la boca porque sentía que mi garganta se secaba y al mismo tiempo me ardía, ¿verdad? O sea, de jalar aire con, con la boca, llegó un momento que se te la garganta. Momentos fueron muy, muy, muy desesperantes. Este, Al mismo tiempo yo sentía mucho temor por, por mi bebé porque yo tenía siete meses de, de embarazo Pues sí, sí me daba miedo que me fuera a pasar algo porque también ya habíamos eh, visto en, en las noticias que muchas embarazadas se ponían mal, que entraban en coma y yo tenía muchísimo miedo a eso. Yo hacía de todo, las nebulizaciones, eh, los remedios caseros, etcétera y más, porque como embarazada no puedes tomar medicina, a menos que te la mande el doctor. Pero la doctora, yo le llamaba y pues no me podía mandar nada no por el embarazo. En lo único que me decía que podía tomar era no. si sí, el dolor era muy fuerte porque pues da mucho dolor en el cuerpo, te sientes cansada, te sientes débil, a mí también me dieron muchas náuseas, me dio temperatura y la noche más difícil fue esa en donde yo sentí que ya no podía respirar por la nariz, yo pienso que en un momento que me levanté que dije ya no, o sea, Tengo que hacer algo porque me siento muy desesperada por no poder respirar bien. Yo creo que estuve haciendo nebulizaciones como por hora y media, pausando unos minutos, pero solamente así pude, digamos, como destapar mi nariz. Eh, esa noche prácticamente no dormí. Y fue, fíjate que fue en vísperas de, de Navidad y Año Nuevo. Cuando fue Navidad, mis hijos y mi esposo estaban enfermos, estaban con los síntomas pues fuertes. Y prácticamente ni festejamos, yo creo, ni, o sea, no hubo el festejo como reunión de Navidad ni nada. porque Porque ellos estaban mal. Y el día primero para recibir al Año Nuevo era
17: yo la que ya estaba muy mal. Yo trabajaba anteriormente para fábrica, de lunes a sábado. Hacía de todo clase de trabajo en la fábrica. Empacar, yo lo que era que ponía label para hacer órdenes donde se hacen la, las charolas de aluminio que usan para fiestas. Bueno, anteriormente, tú sabes, yo trabajaba era de lunes a sábado antes de pues yo enfermarme eso del COVID. Y pues entonces imagínate pues como con eso del COVID que yo me enfermé desde el mes de marzo hasta la época de hoy. A mi salud ya no es la misma. Desde que ya no tenía empleo fue ahora desde el mes de febrero. Eh, Me mandaron esta carta y luego también hablé con la de Recursos Humanos y me dijo pues que no podía, digamos, ya continuar por el trabajo, que si de pronto yo quería regresar, podía regresar, pero ya no iba a tener el puesto que yo tenía antes pues, que me iban a poner donde hubiera trabajo, ya no iba a tener señoría. No, pues imagínate quedarse uno pues sin trabajo pues no es fácil sin recibir dinero ni nada solamente las ayudas que te daban que gracias a Dios pues aquí a la casa me venían y como yo no salía para ningún lado y me dejaban comida y todo eso pero ya luego cuando dieron lo del estímulo que me dieron el, el primer estímulo Eso pues me ayudó pues a a un poco ir pasando. No me dieron también el desempleo, el trabajo no me lo quisieron dar ni nada. Y ahora imagínate que ahora estoy sin seguro también. Otra cosa, estar tú enfermo también es horrible porque yo lo que he vivido no ha sido fácil. Yo estuve ya a punto de que yo me iba a morir. Imagínate, yo era una mujer que yo trabajaba antes todos los días, de lunes a sábado, si es posible, de lunes a domingo. Y ahora con esta enfermedad del COVID, pues todo se te viene abajo. Yo aunque quisiera ir a trabajar, no puedo. Ya mi cuerpo no lo siento como lo sentía antes. Y es muy duro. Mis pulmones se me afectaron, mi garganta. Me he pasado ya por dos uh, biopsias que probablemente me van a operar de lo mismo del COVID. Anteriormente yo estaba bien, también me detectaron que eso de la diabetes, que en mi familia nadie sufre de eso y yo también estoy pasando por eso y es por mismo del COVID. Entonces imagínate, pues, es bien horrible, pero es un milagro de Dios que yo estoy hablando hasta contigo. Gracias a Dios con las personas que yo vivo aquí en el apartamento, ellos me apoyaron mucho. De un milagro, yo estoy aquí.
4: Many jobs available to citizens in the Greater Orlando area don't offer benefits, don't allow paid or sick family leave, and require them to overwork themselves. A worldwide pandemic, while devastating on its own, was further exacerbated by unhealthy work practices. We've discussed the effects of COVID-19 in work, but what effect did it have on people's lives as a whole? It's inevitable for our work life to play a part in our personal lives, and in the second half of our podcast, we will be talking about how the pandemic impacted personal lives and how people coped.
3: The following bilingual podcast is part of the Greater Lawndale Healthy Work Project from the University of Illinois Chicago School of Public Health in partnership with Yolikali Arts Reach in Little Village. What is the city of Chicago doing to keep its citizens safe in their workspaces and homes throughout the pandemic? You will hear a collection of stories showing the effects of COVID-19 in North and South Lawndale. Dilemmas between unsafe workspaces, unemployment, and lack of support from the government. The current needs and concerns of the community, family, housing, health, education, and quality of life. How was your work situation before COVID-19? How can we move forward after experiencing a pandemic? What would you change now? North and South Laundale are two black and brown, low income, working class communities in the west side of Chicago two neighborhoods that have been the most affected during COVID-19. Raising the questions of social inequities and public health, we will introduce some of the after effects of the pandemic, particularly on family, friends, and the day-to-day life. My name is August Avetang, and I'm here with some of the Yolo team members that help participate in this
4: reporting.
1: <inaudible>
3: and in this podcast, we're going to present a collection of stories about the effect of COVID-19 in our local workspaces in Greater Lawndale.
4: The Greater Lawndale Healthy Work Project from the University of Illinois' Chicago School of Public Health invited local organizations, including Yolakali, to be part of their research study, which aimed to determine the context, barriers, and pathways to healthy work in Greater Lawndale,
1: as well as build community capacity to recognize worker health as a determinant of community health. Address worker related health in community total worker health efforts and sustain effective community based worker health initiatives.
4: And with continuing the conversation, we will explain the process of gathering these interviews and our experience with listening to residents personal stories.
1: But first, let's talk a little bit about our personal experience with the project in general. So guys, what was it like participating in the project?
3: For me, I was really I was really proud that I could do something to help our community, like in any capacity. It's been a really crazy time for these past, how old am I? 22 years of living. But more recently with the state of of America, I feel this is the time where we should push back. We should speak up on what, what our needs are and demand that we get our needs fulfilled because no one else is gonna come up and do it for us, you know? And that's like something I had learned from, from talking with these people that they couldn't rely on the government, that it was them relying on on themselves and their support.
4: And for me, it was um, it was just an experience that really made me think about um, just how a lot of people in our community suffer through a lot of stuff. And especially during COVID, it's like, you know, these levels are more, are elevated more and it's just having this uh, having the ability to participate in this project gives us insight about what's happening but also you know to think about other solutions to these common problems and how as a community we can uplift each other and make sure that even if you know a global pandemic doesn't happen assure ourselves that these situations especially in like work conditions aren't going to be repeated ever again and it creates you know a
1: safe space yeah and i think if we're talking about ourselves personally I was also super grateful that we were given the opportunity to just even participate in this research project because it's such a big deal you know me and melissa we're seniors right now you know going out to bigger things and all of us are doing right now community reporting radio journalism audio journalism and uh, podcast, and so we are all just in this field and given the opportunity to collaborate with uic for this research project like you know now we got some juice for our resumes you know I'm grateful
3: I wanna know uh, what it was like for y'all to, to do these interviews, to conduct these interviews.
1: For starters, you know, the three of us went through it as well with Antonio. Uh, we all had to first go through the, what was it?
4: It was a workshop where we had to kind of learn about trauma, um, how to interview people who have dealt with trauma. And, you know, it was basically a workshop teaching us how to be more empathetic, and you know how to deal with people who either are going through something traumatic and how to make people comfortable especially during these interviews since it's like a super intimate like intimate time
1: yeah having to go through that that was interesting to learn from at the very beginning because going into it all we really got was their jobs post-pandemic and after that it was for us to research question ask what happened how has your work been shifted changed because of covid-19 and the pandemic in general and having to improvise these questions that was that was tricky
3: personally i really enjoy like meeting new people and getting to know them personally and to do this in such a short amount of time it was kind of like it was it was nerve-wracking for me at first but luckily i got people who who were willing to open up fairly easy but also like it was difficult cuz i had like it gets it gets heavy real quick you know and you wouldn't even see it coming and in my present life it's like if if that were to happen to me with someone i know you know it's something i struggle with you know uh so this was like a learning experience to on how to deal with trauma that trauma course really did help to like not only not only comfort them but like to keep the interview going because that was something we we needed to do as well you know
4: yeah especially and from my experience like just putting it out of perspective, like you hear a lot of these numbers, statistics coming out, like how many of this what people are suffering through this or whatever. But once you like sit down and start questioning these people, you like feel so bad. And just because you know it, it's super depressing. I mean, come on, a lot of people are going through so much horrible stuff, and you know it just makes you kind of angry. And at the same time, you kind of reflect on why you're doing this project and how it has the possibility of either changing these effects and creating like a better I guess space for other people so definitely it just made me like I don't know like it made me think differently and um when interviewing people like it was just really difficult because you knew at the same time I like expected the worst but then I was relieved when I didn't but then if I did it was like I just felt really bad but I have to keep that <laughs> aside from myself. And, you know, which just makes you kind of like question about how the setting you're growing up impacts a lot of things that being economically or just mentally. So, you know, being able to do something that could possibly change something is a good possibility. And with going into that, um, my question to you guys is what was it like, like putting together the podcast and just kind of organizing everything?
3: If you were to sum it up in one word, quite stressful, you know or two, really. It's not as stressful as radio from what I've experienced here in my short time. Cause I feel like radio is way, way more stressful with the deadlines. You get me like, we can't take our time. But with this project, you're, we're, we're working with more than just outside, you know, like just us in the group. You know what I mean? To put this together, you had to work with different organizations. And with that, you can't always, you're reliant on some outside source. So it's not always on your time. You know what I mean? So you have to be flexible. And that's, that's something that, that I was not, you know, like prepared for. And, and it, it came, it came into it, you know, I'm, I'm happy for this experience though. All in all stress and everything included.
1: I would have to agree with August, you know, as we are sitting here, you're listening to my voice, the decibels, the frequencies going up and down. We, the three of us are sitting here, you know, on this Google meeting, uh, reading off of this Google doc that we created for the podcast. Uh, so it just putting it together the time that we're living in is very interesting uh fun you know going through the challenges having to figure it out the time that we're gonna schedule to me having to put it all together and you know finding those free time those gaps throughout the day when we all with stephanie a hey, shout out to you stephanie oh my god, and shout out to vanessa oh yeah Ooh. they helped us so much with this project coming together and trying to find the best way to highlight these people's stories highlight their voices i think that was the most gratifying part of it and you know i think we can all agree like after hearing a lot of these people's stories everybody lives a different life everybody has different experiences and i'm grateful for the experience i had throughout the pandemic because um a lot of these people they had financial troubles work struggles health struggles and i um thankfully was not given that and so You know it was really just like realization of like you know being grateful for life honestly
4: yeah and also just one thing i wanted to include is that you know a a person who does who experiences empathy or at least a little bit of humanity you're going to feel bad and yeah so that's why this project shouldn't be like taking like fun or anything it should be something serious and it should be a reflection of what like our society or like our government has been controlled by you know Um, It just really makes you think, you know, how living in a world where, you know, money is the most important thing and just people are treated like commodities and just being easily replaced and easily um, taken advantage of is something that shouldn't really exist. And just being able to be um, to experience at least a little bit of insight in these people's lives, it just makes you it makes you like, you know, realize how bad of a situation it is. Um, you listen to numbers or whatever. You might not feel anything, but once you sit down with these people and you talk to them, it's something that like is super concerning and it's something that should be should be something that should be dealt with. And that's why like healthy work should be a priority. Make sure a lot of these people who are working like minimum wage jobs or only who are exposed to low income communities deserve like equitable pay. They deserve like an equitable system in in their job
3: or workforce. That was beautifully put. It goes without saying how difficult this year was for everyone. How was it we were able to stay afloat? What were some of the things that helped us cope?
1: What would you say is the main thing that helped you and your family push through these moments?
6: I would say love, the word of God, and prayer. Those were the, the things that really brought us through. The fact that we have something and someone to rely on, and it is powerful. That was encouraging because we know our prayers was answered because God kept us. He protected and shielded my family. My husband was bedridden for a long period of time, and we both were on oxygen. And we was just blessed because having COVID, no one would have taken our child in in their home because they would have been fearful. So God allowed us to stay here to keep her because she's 11 years of age. Well, she was 10 at the time, so we was blessed. I tell you, we was really blessed. And I pray to God I never have to experience it again. And I do have more compassion for people who are on it because I see what they went through, what they go through and how it's a struggle at times So I tell you, just to be able to breathe, that's a blessing. And that's something that I do not take for granted. People rallied together around my community. You know, a lot of PPE products was passed out. You know, food was distributed. So everybody showed love and kind of pulled together in our community. And see, I'm one of the volunteers on my block. I'm a part of um, the trim program where we cater to the need of the people. So if you're dealing with trauma or you're in need of anything, then that program is there to assist you. So the fact that my faith was strong enough to receive these products and pass them out to the people on the block, that that helped a lot because I was still able to work. I was still able to serve. And we didn't go into anybody's houses. We just took the bags and we sat them on the door and left literature you know, talk, encourage those needed prayer, pray for them. So it was, God played a major role in this. He really did, but it's just, it does my heart good to know that I can do something for somebody else. And it's a blessing to be in a position to do something for somebody versus being laid up, having someone to have to take care of you. Yeah. You know, and it makes you more compassionate to the individual because they are in need and you're not so you know you don't know the frustrations that a person go through knowing they can't do anything for themselves or they're limited to what they can do so you know it just just makes you want to pray more for those that you are caring for and praying that they are able to maintain peace we've just been blessed in the whole process just to be in good health that's a lot that is a whole lot and we're more rich in love than anything. So when we got love and we got Jesus, we got it all. So we know whatever we lacking, he always supply the need. So we don't even worry about it.
12: You know, when you when you don't know about a lot of resources and stuff, you you don't know how to cope because I'm like on the borderline between Londale and Little Village. So my Londale contacts did not help me. However, being friends, being friends with my Little Village people. They helped me out with, re- I joined a little church that's not back in Little Village, and they helped me with resources. They brought food over, over and everything for me to eat and helped me with uh, uh, knowledge about getting help with my gas and lights and all this other stuff, so that's how, that's how I, was, I was able to maintain myself.
15: Um, Just the different interactions I get with the students and to see them who are just, you know, turn three and then to see them progress over the years. And um, we have a lot of students that end up staying and going to the upper grade. So you get to see them as they get older and just those interactions and just to see from when they first started to where they are now. So it it makes it
12: um, a great experience. I, I enjoyed making their day. You know, I used to do a, a joke a week <laughs> for them or something, or or like on Fridays, one of the ladies that I had, I would, uh, she liked the blues and she liked to dance and stuff like this. So I would just uh, uh, set my phone up and just have her a little blues-arama, you know, you know, for her. So pretty different. Just prayer gave me a lot of hope, a lot of hope. You have to be that type of person that that
14: thinks hopefuls, hopeful thoughts, you know. On that Thursday for our last trip, just to be out, when we returned, it was already said that we would have an extended weekend, which we wasn't scheduled to be off on that Friday. I extended weekend, extended through the whole spring and the summer, so. Just like kinda of educating them that we just want to have some time off and to be playing for the world and be just stay safe, continue to wash your hands and just continue to read your favorite book to your parents.
1: And if there's anything that you could have told yourself that last Thursday when you and your students were at the zoo, what what would you have told yourself?
14: Get in the playground with the kids and slide down the sliding board, swing on the swing, laugh. That's what I would have told myself, go and get, see more animals, you know, don't, don't rush, don't rush. Again, I was rushed, rushing the time to run from each animal cage to the next, just breathing fresh air, Hearing laughter, seeing people, somebody bumping to you and saying, excuse me, or someone coughing, but I should be agitated. Just the busyness of people, of, um, not afraid of human touch.
15: Um, I feel like if there was funding, you know, dedicated for schools for teachers, where you know we can have the necessary supplies that's needed. A lot of times, if we run out of things, as teachers, you are going into your own personal account to you know buy things that's needed for the classroom. Um, so I definitely feel like funding is important. I feel like um, you know providing us. Opportunities for you know higher education. There are a lot of teachers that you know are willing to go back to school to either get their masters, but um, you know when you don't have the money to, it's, it's you know a struggle. So I definitely feel like funding would be a big help in helping teachers, essential workers, those that you know work
5: with the public. We provide a sense of safety for the community. For example, you have people that are walking to the laundromat or to take their kids to school or to drop out their kids at the babysitter at 5, 6, 7 a.m. But they see a street vendor that they know, that they talk to, and they feel safe, right? So we we are literally human street lights. And I have said this a lot of times. We make the community safe, and we literally, you know, make it bright. Um, physically and emotionally.
10: I uh, just trying to be here for my kids, mostly, man. Like I said, you know, I lost my whole immediate family, just like being here for my kids. Like, I was always taught, you know, that money isn't everything, but it makes a difference. You know what I'm saying? So I try to spend more time with my children and, you know, make the best about what we got, you know, but don't let it take the best of me. Like I said, I, said, I still got to plan with what I got to do, what I got to do, so. Man, we've been playing. I think we can play every board game that possibly could be, you know, any, anything you can do to, from the PlayStation to the Xbox, cards, water fights, just darn this week. But whatever we can do to stay busy, you know.
5: So as street vendors, we know one one we know our corner. Two, we know the people that pass by that corner. So we kind of know, you know, the people's routines. Well, I do, I'm a very, <laughs> I, I analyze a lot of things because I've been selling tamales for a lot of years. So I know people's routines, right? I know who walks, I literally on what street, at what time. Uh, <laughs> and there was this time, there was this senor, this elder man that was walking on the road not on the wrong, but on the opposite street, of where he usually walks, right? So that was a red flag. And when I see him, he's walking with um, he's walking with someone else that is, está cómo se dice limping, no caminando bien, right? So as they come in closer, we see that it's a woman, and we see that this girl is like you know she has a completely short dress, she has no jacket, and it seems like she's drunk. Um, so here's the old man, you know, carrying carrying her or pulling her, and as they're passing by us, she extends her arms and she holds on to my sister-in-law chair, and you know me, I'm like, hey, like, what's going on? Todo bien. She really can't talk. She's just like, mm-hmm. so she's, you know, she's a little bit drunk, and she grabs onto the my sister-in-law chair, and my sister-in-law holds onto her. And we're like, what's going on? You know, like we're, we we asked the guy, like, where are you taking her? Where are you taking her? And she's like, and he's like, oh, like I found her. I'm taking her. I'm taking her home. I'm going to like, you know, put her put her some clothes on because she's cold. And we're like asking her, like, are you OK? Are you OK? And as we're asking her, um, the guy's pulling her. And we're two. So we're like, uh-uh, you're not taking her. We're like, you're not taking her. She's staying here, we, we'll get her home. So she grabs onto to us and he finally lets go after like pulling her and like almost fighting with us. So he, you know, he leaves, he's like, ah, ah, and he, leave, he leaves and we um, take her to the bank and we like put her inside and we start asking her, you know, like, are you okay? And she's obviously under the influence. So she's not, you know, her five senses. Um, But she was managed to tell us that he was trying to, like, take her home, um, you know, without her permission. So we, like, give her, you know, we give her a sweater and we wait for a friend to pick her up. So that's, you know, that's what happened. If we weren't there, I don't know what would have happened. I don't, I really don't know. And I don't want to imagine. um, But I don't want to say that's one of my favorite. Um, It's definitely not one of my favorite memories, but it's definitely... A key memory of why I know that street vendors are a sense of community, but also protect the community and symbolize a human streetlight.
1: We manifest that sharing these audios and stories with our community could convey the resilience of Black and Brown people. Bring awareness to some of the systemic injustices and discrimination our community faces, and bring a little hope and inspiration to everyone surviving through this moment in history. May this lead to further and tangible change, addressing the needs in our community of North and South Wandale and how we approach healthy, sustainable work.
4: My name is Melissa Regalado,
3: August Abateng,
1: and Emanuel Ramirez.
4: And this was the second part of our two-part podcast about the Greater Londo Healthy Work Project from the University of Illinois' Chicago School of Public Health. This was a special bilingual podcast, a collection of stories showing off the effects of COVID-19 in North and South Londo by August Abiteng, Emmanuel Ramirez, Melissa Regalado, and Antonio Salazar as part of the Greater Londo Healthy Work Project from the University of Illinois Chicago School of Public Health in partnership with Yolo Kali Arts Reach in Little Village. Special thanks to our researchers, organizers, community leaders, and participants for their stories and experiences for the completion of this investigation. Hello, it's me. I haven't heard from you in a while.
1: I hope it's because you're listening and enjoying our amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delicious, funny, breathtaking, wee- snatching lady-popping lady production.
0: If not, you should listen to our radio show, What's Up,
1: again. In the meantime, we'll be twerking on a next one here in Lumpin' Radio. So stay tuned for our next amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delicious, funny, breathtaking, weave-snatching, highly amazing production. I hope that you were informed about the Yolo-licious parts of life and get your bag
17: every
0: Don't forget to listen to us on SoundCloud at Yolo Kali, on social media like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Tumblr at Yolo Kali
4: or visit at yolokali.org for more.